Welcome to the Humane Roundup Podcast, where we share all the exciting stories about animal cruelty investigations, dangerous animals, and amazing rescues. Find out what goes on inside of animal shelters and all the current trends in the animal welfare industry. Now, here is your host, Daniel Edinger. And his amazing co-host, Ashley Bishop. Ashley Bishop, how are you this morning? Good. How are you? I'm great. It's good to have you. You know, we have some housekeeping things to talk about really quick. And so if you've been a long listener of the program, you know, this is episode 90. I think this is 97, 96. It's somewhere in the 90s. <laughs> you know, numbers are numbers. And the re- reason I bring that up is we decided to archive some of our old shows and really just keep it fresh. So if you're looking for some of the past episodes and you don't see them in whatever app you're listening to these programs, uh, you can text or email the show and we can get you those actual shows if there was something that you were looking for. But the cool thing is we're going to recreate some of these episodes. And what we decided to do today is really talk about kind of resetting who we are and what we do. And we're going to have a great program, too, because we actually have Jerrica Owen uh, joining us from NACA as well. So talking about kind of the profession and then the, that support from NACA is it, it's great to have them, you know, being part of this show when they can to come on and give updates. But I think today, as we reset and kind of talk about what we do as a profession, it's great to have their support as well. Absolutely. And before we get into that, you know, I know we record a little bit in advance. And so some of the listeners probably have already seen the video. And if you haven't seen the video and you want to see the video, I'm sure you can Google it, but you can also reach out through messenger. And I, I have the actual video and I can send it to you. So there and, you know, if you ever see me interact on some of the social media groups, I try to post things really as a just a way to get perspective from the, the field. Right. Like I don't really post it in a sense to like stir shit up, though. People may think I do uh, because sometimes comments get flowing and it's just it is what it is. But I just post it because I want feedback. And so there was a video that just surfaced because a, of a civil suit that was handed out to a Loveland, Colorado police officer for fatally shooting. Mm, he did. Sh- mm, he, it, it was fatally shooting because a dog died five days later. Fatally shooting a, uh, it was about a 14-month-old, probably boxer mix, um, that was at large with another dog while the cop went on scene for a trespassing call. Did you see the video, Bishop? Uh, yes. I, yeah, I did. It was a white yep. colored dog. Yeah. I saw it. And so when you look at the video, it's hard to watch. I don't care what profession you're in. You know, I, I actually teach a class in Colorado for law enforcement officers about this exact thing. So recognizing and understanding body language of animals and then using your best judgment to make sure you maintain safety, right? And or public safety. And so in that training, obviously videos or body language, it's broken down. We talk about, you know, threatening body language actual you know dogs on the attack versus is this dog showing signs of you know is it being inquisitive is it appeasing is it trying to you know just just come over and smell you whatever the case may be and in the video it's easy to sit here and and monday morning quarterback something it's easy to to look at a video and be like what that officer did was wrong they did at first that the department uh, did authorize it as a justified shooting 
However, the city of Loveland is reopening the case to review it. And I think my guess is what will happen at some point is they'll settle of court uh, with the dog owners. And, and so in the video, if you haven't seen it, basically there's two dogs that run from a truck that, I don't know, maybe it's 30, 40 yards away. The white dog that ends up getting shot, his behavior is at first focused on the other dog, as I would say, kind of like mimicking the other dog, just running towards the officer. The, the dog that doesn't get shot stops short, and then the, the dog that ends up getting shot kind of carries on. But like in somewhat of a loose body, you know, kind of wiggly, not a direct line, kind of takes a wider approach. Uh, to the officer and he just shoots him. I mean, the cop could have easily got back into his vehicle. He could have pulled out the taser, a baton. He could have made vocal commands. The audio to that point was actually off, so we don't know if he did or did not. Uh, and so, again, it's easy to break it down, but it's just, it's sad in, in all aspects. The the kicker for me, and some some listening may say like, the cop did what he needed to do. Some listening say may say like that was completely bullshit. And you know, I'm not going to sit here and say what's right or what's wrong, but I will say, <clears throat> I will say, the the aspect after, whenever the shooting transpired, hit the police officer's approach and or professionalism and or just empathy for the situation is is what if they show that video to a jury or whatever they do, if they you know, however the the case proceeds, like that. To me, that'll sink him. Like, he had no empathy. He's like, yeah, there's nothing. The dog is laying there alive for, I think it was, like, up to 15 minutes. And they wouldn't let him take it to the vet. You know, and, and so it was it was hard to watch in that aspect. And I think we just have to do better as a, as a profession, whether it's law enforcement in that aspect or what we do and how we interact with the public as well. Because, you know, hey, I just shot your dog. No, ma'am, stay where you are or get back to your truck. No, you cannot render it any aid. Let it sit there and suffer. Wow. Um, you know, I'm here on a trespass call. They, Those people, now granted, police work is different than our work, but those people were no threat to the police officers at that time, right? And so I, I just think a different approach could have been taken. I don't know this police officer's background, if he's ever been bitten by a dog, but he, he said, and I quote, I'm not in the business to get bit. And, you know, he went in with that mentality and, and ultimately killed the dog. It suffered uh, for five days prior to them um, to them losing it at the vet clinic. And uh, there's a lot more to the story. And I'll be curious to see how the civil suit plays out. But I just wanted to open the show and, and kind of start with that and, uh, you know, share that it's there's there's a lot we can do as in our profession to help teach our officers. And I'll give a brief example we had a case where we had serious bodily injury from a mother dog, so maternal instinct. And we went in the house to get her and she was in a bedroom guarding her puppies and she was rough. Like she was a bigger dog and I lost control of the control stick. I had a animal protection officer with me and, and a police officer with me and the dog got past both of us. And like I, you know, before we went in, we set up the scene, you know, we told the cop, Hey, you'll be fine. Like, but I felt bad because the dog got past me and got into another room and could have, I could have injured the other people. Um, you know, I'm quickly recovered and got in there and got, we ended up getting the dog contained and nobody got hurt. But like, I could have put that police officer in a situation where they could have gotten bit uh, if they, you know, they thought that they were in good, in a good place. And so, you know, they didn't have any other weapons out and granted, like we were right there with our catch poles and, and everything. But at the same time, it's important that, 
you know, we talk to our police officers before we go on scene. You know, we let them know, like, hey, here's where we need you in the room. Here's how we keep you safe, et cetera. And, and sometimes uh, it doesn't always play out the way you want, but we were able to keep it a, a safe environment and get the dog contained without anybody getting injured. You know, I I don't know if you saw it on Instagram, but there's actually an ACO somewhere, and there was not a lot of detail, um, who was recently attacked by two different dogs. And I know he was actually hospitalized for a while because of it. Um, I don't have that. a lot of great, great detail. That. Yeah, I saw the headlines on that. Uh, and I, uh, I didn't, yeah, I didn't read it in depth, but it, it's a tough job. I mean, it's a, and we'll get into that here in a second. It's a tough job that, you know, people, I mean, that's one aspect of it, but there's a lot more that we do. Well, and you were talking about um, training the officers and stuff and how to react in, in the body language of dogs. For those of you out there that um, want to look into getting some more information out to the officers, if you have the ability to do it on YouTube, and Dan, I sent you the link. Hopefully we can put it in the show notes. Um, there's a video I use when I'm training the officers because it is uh, a training video for police officers and it's uh in uh, police dog encounters and it's a training program for officers in how to read the body language how to you know look at your context clues if you will around the house before you enter and things like that um to help keep them safer and give them a little bit more confidence in what they're doing if we're not available to them and i i show it to all all the new officers that I can, and they've really liked it. It seems like definitely so. add that to the show notes, and that's great information to to share. And I also, you know, if there's if there's more that you want, I have a PowerPoint. It's about long. It's like three hours worth of teaching material. So if you want it, reach out to me. Uh, we can discuss on how I can get that to you. If it's something you want to use to train your your local police officers, it's a really great tool. And you know we. There's, you can't, like, you can sit in a classroom all you want. You can't replicate real life scenarios, but what you can do is kind of teach muscle memory, you know, teach situations that, that may, may come up and, and really also uh, teach them like how this could affect them personally. People can get civilly sued or personally sued in these situations where, you know, you could lose your house, you could lose a car or whatever it may be because you made a bad decision. Like we're not protected in the aspect of making decisions in the field. Like sometimes it is protected by your agency and other times, Hey, personally, they might come right after you and uh, it could be a, a whirlwind of stuff. So. And actually though, there is, and I, I don't know if it's through Axon. That's who we use our body cameras for. Okay. There is a virtual reality dog encounter training. Oh, that's cool. So, like, you have to have a—I don't know if they do it through a room or what—but you, they use it for all kinds of different scenarios. But they do have dog-related incidents in it as well. That's awesome. Well, before we jump into our program, I think you wanted to update us too on another situation <laughs> about our profession. It's crazy. Like, it's all over the place, but it's pretty crazy to to hear these stories. Yeah, so it sounds like a shelter out in Michigan is going to be, for the next 18 months, um, a little bit short on funds. They 
did not approve in their uh, agenda or, or their, um, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? Budget. To spend the $128,000 to go towards the shelter. Um, sounds like a pretty small shelter. They've only got two full-time staff and two part-time staff. Mm. Um, but they don't have the funding for the next 18 months. So I I thought I saw too that they may have to like pull funding from other departments or something, right? In order yeah, to, they, they can yeah. borrow. They can borrow the money. But um, how the heck does this happen? Well, and I'm questioning that too, because I feel like our funding, like for my shelter, so it, I don't know, it's weird because we have multiple contracts and everything. Yeah. Um, but most of it comes from licensing. So mm, interesting. Like, because there's a county dog tax, which is the licensing, which the county pays for stray dogs. And then the other parts of the licensing fees, which is why one of my jurisdictions jacked it up so high, goes to me and paying for our contract for the Humane Society for our non-dog strays. So, like, is that money just sitting somewhere? (laughs) Or are they not using licensing? Uh, That's a great question. And I know across the country, licensing is all over the place. So... I would imagine that, um, yeah, I, I don't know. I, who knows? Like we have, I know a lot of cities are at 20%. So like if if it's a smaller place, you know, even if they're at 100%, it may not be that much. So who knows? Yeah. I just, well, I think it's just, it's an oversight. Again, how our profession, I feel like no one would ever, you know, look over like a police, a police department's budget or right. emergency medical budget, but it's like, oh, the dog catcher, they're not on this budget sheet. We didn't even notice it, right? Like, and that's yeah. where it kind of gets me. And and as we segue into our program, I think really talking about some of the different things that we we do. And if you've listened to any past episodes, you know, first and foremost, we have so many different names across the board. And so, you know, for me, currently, my title is animal protection officer. And I've been in this job for, as, you know, as an enforcement position as as an animal control and protection officer an animal control officer uh animal welfare officer an animal uh an animal law enforcement officer animal care and control officer and animal protection officer over the past 11 years and with you has it always been humane officer yes that that is the state title okay Okay. Well, sorry, my and, cat's very vocal. Apparently, cats are great. And so, <laughs> as we kind of you know reset and talk about you know who we are and what we do, I mean that's for me. I started as a volunteer, got you know got some work in understanding animal, probably just body language, behavior, etc. Did some ride alarms with my agent, well, with agencies, and eventually the agency I work with now. But ultimately, like you know, just having that drive and and really wanting to be involved in this profession. Like that was my goal. And clearly, you know, 11 years later, obviously still involved in doing different things and just want to see it continue to advance forward. And, you know, I am proud and and happy to be part of this show and and have you as a co-host as well. And, you know, just continuing to push 
I think the perspective, the positive perspective of this profession forward, that's always been my goal and, and it'll continue to be my goal. And so that's a little of my background. I didn't go to school for any of this stuff. Like I was working a dead end job that I felt was a dead end job sitting in a cubicle. No disrespect to people that do cubicle work. It just wasn't for me. And then I, you know, just really found this passion of like helping people and helping animals. And, and here we are now where, you know, I, I can't tell you how many animals and how many people I've helped, but it's a, it's a great feeling. Uh, there is some burnout and negative stuff that comes with it. And it's hard, it's a hard balance as we all know, but you know, I, I don't, I don't know. I just, it's not something that, that I want to give up on and just continue to push forward and help continue to, to make this profession you know, well known and what it what it, you know what we really do get it out there and get everybody that works in it the the respect and you know appropriate pay and appropriate um acknowledgement equipment. That they deserve yeah equipment and acknowledgement yeah absolutely yeah how about you how about you yeah i'd love for you to kind of give a little bit of yourself and so people can hear what you've dealt with over your time and how you got to where sure. you're so I started at uh, my local shelter as a volunteer at the age of 13, and I worked my way up to being a part-time employee at 16 and got to go out on a major case um, with the humane officers at the time. They were through the shelter, and they were the first ones um, for anybody in the county, really. The shelter fought pretty hard to get them. Um, we had this massive case 80 acres of land um the woman had a fire in the house and she was living out of her vehicle the vehicle was just trashed with stuff and she would actually have food and whatever and all the garbage stayed in the vehicle with her and once the vehicle got too full she would go buy another vehicle and just park it on the land um, but there was a roughly 80 dogs running on 80 acres of land starving, cannibalizing each other. I had weeds that were, I, I kid you not, three feet above my head. Um, so we went out there to try to catch them and, and handle that case. And there was cows out to pasture. That was when I knew what I wanted to do. Yeah. But I, I wanted to do it more that I wanted more information than what the gals at the shelter at the time had because they had their one week training through um the state and they had their knowledge from working at the humane society um I had a falling out when we got a new executive director at the shelter so I left for a time and I went back to school and got my associates in veterinary technology to become an uh certified veterinary technician because I wanted that knowledge to take out on the field with me so that I didn't have to call the vet to come out and evaluate the animals. I could do a preliminary and go, yeah, I got to take them. No, you know, we can work through this or whatever. Um, and it literally was, I graduated at the beginning of January and the job they had started talking about creating the humane officer position in my city and I applied for it. And thir about 13 weeks later in July, I was uh, the first humane officer for my city. And I've been doing that now for eight years. I've got about total 19 years in animal welfare. That's amazing. Honestly, that's really great. And 
I think, you know, just having all that background and knowledge is, is really awesome. So, and I think for any of our new listeners that may be up and coming in the industry or want to get into this profession, there's so many different angles you can take. Clearly, you can go to college and get a degree in like criminal justice. And there's now more and more, there's now more and more like animal welfare courses that you can take. You can, you know, be like become members of associations and things like that and join uh, like, you know, different, different types of online training, et cetera. But I think it's uh, really cool that like you can take so many different angles, right? Like my truthfully, like propelling into this job was more so the, the just drive and dedication through being able to like volunteer. Right. Cause I didn't yep. have that background. Like I just didn't. And it wasn't something that like, I never had a, a, a kind of a degree type of mentality. Like I, you know, I still, <laughs> I'm still surprised <laughs> I have like my NACA certificate and stuff like that, just cause I've never done that stuff. Right. And so you can, there's so many different ways to do it. And I think for me, the biggest thing about this profession and one of the things that we talk about now is like, I think a lot of people that just get into the profession may think that it's like, oh, I'm going to deal with puppies and bunny rabbits and animals all day. I I really think that this job is the the majority of not. I don't know if majority is the right word, but uh, the primary focus of the job is a lot of customer service and how you interact and talk with people. Right, like that. Yeah. That makes it a a really a like if you have those skills and you're able to talk to people well, that makes it a really, in my opinion, like a, a really good characteristic of an officer. You can learn some of the animal stuff later, but if you have a way and, and can learn how to talk to people, uh, that'll make your job a lot easier. You know, I will say that this profession, my police department has said this for years, and and I think it goes as far with the art profession as well. Um we hire for character, we train for skill. And if you can, you know, go out, talk to people, make good decisions, make quick decisions sometimes, you know, you can be trained. You can be trained on how to not get bit by a cat that's in a live trap. Sorry, tangent. Um, that's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> you can be trained how to catch the dog and, and read the animal's body language. We can train that. but we will we need the good people out there and i've always encouraged anybody that wants to get in the profession because i get that question frequently from especially from high schoolers um and i say go out and volunteer at your local shelter because you're going to see those hard cases we're bringing the hard cases there and you do need to have that the mental stability to be able to deal with it we deal with a lot of shit and it's draining and you know we've talked about it before on the show where there's there's ptsd and things like that that come from this profession and so knowing that you can do that you'll start to see some of that at the shelters so doing that volunteer work is a great way to start absolutely and let's talk about a little of the things that we do right because it's going to be different no matter where you go throughout the country i think there are some similarities in the job but i think it is a little different so like for example, in here in, in Colorado, you know, we have names again all over the board. But in like, if you go in the East Coast, I've noticed this and shout out ACO Michelle uh, in Jersey. I know a lot of our listeners know her. She, um, you know, she's an animal control officer and that's pretty much it. Like she, 
a few years ago, they kind of took away their ability to do some of the humane investigations. And they those are now done by humane officers, which is your title. And but the training and the training and requirements are different there. And so you have to go through an academy. You have to, you know, have some some sort of background, probably in criminal justice, et cetera, to be able to do those investigations. And so it's split, which is weird to me, because if you're out on a call, you're that first line, right? You're that mm -hmm. that first responder to that call. Then you have to like, oh, well, this dog doesn't have a dog house or it's skinny or whatever it may be. Now I have to, you know, get that to a to another agency to come in on the backside and do some more work. It just for the profession, it makes more sense that if you're going to do it, you should probably do it all. And for us in in our city, you know, we're in a bigger metropolitan area. We don't like we do get uh, we do get our fair amount. I'm sure it's probably equal to a lot of other agencies of um, of the profession. But like dog at large calls, it's not our main call our main calls are like investigations for crimes against animals and i i say this with a caveat or crimes animals may have committed and when you think about that it's it goes back to like yeah a dog could commit you know a dog attack or a bite etc and it could also be that it's really the owner's fault right so it's hard to say a crime an animal may have committed since the owner of the animal you know allowed that animal to commit the crime so but that's kind of what we deal with you know we have our we do mix in our wildlife whether it's injured sick uh, etc but it's mainly doing the investigations how about you um I, I probably a fair amount of both it's good 50 50 and it always seems to me that when i get one investigative case that i'm working on i'm gonna get at least three more um, and then I'll go a period of time where it is mostly just picking up animals and stuff. Um, but I mean, we, we do have our cases. I handle everything, everything animal related. Um, so if, and it gets a little frustrating because sometimes the officers are like, oh, you can do that. Yes, I, I can do so yeah, I, I handle everything from investigating. I can refer on charges. I obviously can't arrest. I can't carry a weapon, um, things like that. But I do everything animal related. But we don't do much for wildlife unless there's a very specific, like we think it's rabid or, you know, I've got bird flying around an elderly woman's house otherwise we don't do much for wildlife because we're not certified um but a little bit of everything over here that's good though i i think it's a neat thing and i'd love to hear from some of the other people that do this job and kind of what what their approach is and, and and what their main you know what are their main calls are they responding to stray pickups a lot more than other places or are they mainly doing investigations you know, are they dealing with dogfighting, cockfighting? We don't see a lot of dogfighting, uh, but we do see a lot of birds that are intended for cockfighting here. And, you know, it just depends, I think, where you are in the country, kind of how it reflects, you know, the communities that you serve. And and I think we can put our heads together, too, and, and really continue to focus on, like, advancing this profession. And it's going to be cool here in a second when we talk to NACA about getting, like, where they're at and kind of what, what's going on with them. But you know, having their support in the profession and what they can do as as we move forward. You know, we still don't 
really have any sort of national database, right? Like for animal cruelty, sure there is NIBRS, but how many people actually use it or have the ability to use it? And I think we talked about that in the episode last week, but there's not like, it's just not uniform. And, and as we continue to grow, I think we'll start to see that uh, piece by piece. I think that's one of the most frustrating things for me, neighbors. I know I talked about it, but yeah, if if you're not sworn officer. Um, and I've even asked if there was a possibility of us, you know, being able to have those cases count towards their their watch list and stuff. And I was told that there's no talk of it at this time, which is ridiculous. But if we keep talking about it, we keep bringing it up, maybe. Maybe it's something that NACA can put on their agenda to reach out to them and as a national organization and, and try to help us get that on there. Yeah, definitely. Well, I think we should we can probably bring that up. I know they have some of their own things to talk about today, but if there's time, we'll ask Jerrica about that. Um, I, again, I just think it's uh, we have a really unique profession. Um, you know, we're it's you know, I work under a Department of Public Health and Environment. You work under a police department. I know people that work under facilities, neighborhood inspections, public works, etc. It's humane societies. It's all over the and board. And we're not uniform. <laughs> <laughs> and well, over the next several weeks, I think kind of what we're going to do is, you know, continue to to bring up some of these older episodes, to older topics from some of these episodes that we archived, and just touch on some of the things that the listeners want to hear. So if you have questions or comments, please go to our website or hit us up on social media. You can find us at the Humane Roundup on Instagram or Facebook or H.O. Bishop on both platforms or Animal Protection Officer Daniel. And then we can just, you know, have that dialogue and get some of that stuff, um, get some of that stuff done, you know, as we need it. So uh, for you as the listener. So we really appreciate the support and just looking forward to continuing to bring you content every week that is stuff you want to hear yeah definitely reach out i enjoy hearing what uh you guys have to say the questions you have and it would be really nice if you guys just kind of gave us a heads up on specifically what you want and you know this is this is a show for you so we've got a indeed. lot of resources but indeed well let's introduce our guest uh, we, we've had her on before, and it's great to have her back, Jerrica Owen. She's the Director of Partnerships and Programs with NACA, the National Animal Control Association, or Care and Control Association. Jerrica, thanks for your time today. How are you? I'm well. How are you guys doing? Thanks for having me. Morning. Yeah, we're, we're doing great. Uh, obviously, there was a lot to talk about this morning, and I think uh, we're just excited to have you on to give an update with NACA and... You know, our listeners probably ha are, are really interested to hear what you have going on, and, and so are we. Yeah, fantastic. That was really great listening to you guys. Um, I have pulling notes, um, and I think, you know, one of the things that I think just for, for starters that really um, sort of is impactful is just the idea of inconsistencies, right? There's so many inconsistencies across the country. Um, you touched on job there's thousands of them, um, uniforms, training, standards of, uh, standards of training. So it's, um, it's just really interesting, you know, that you guys are uh, talking about that. And then I do see, you know, NACA being able to 
uh, somehow work towards, and we already are, but, you know, continuing to work towards um, standardization and increasing the profession. Uh, definitely. I mean, even the budgeting conversation, how, how does that happen? That's just crazy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's, yeah. I, I saw that article and it was just, I didn't know what to say. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's so what's going on with NACA? I'm sure there's some updates. Oh my goodness. There are so many updates. Um, and the first one, I'm actually, this was going to be like my third update, but I'm going to just add it to the front. You guys were talking about, um, you know, the need for police officers to, you know, get some animal uh, control training. And I'm super excited to share that the next uh, thing, the next project we're working on uh, set to be released in the fall. So possibly another month, maybe, um, is a course that is designed uh, specifically for law enforcement officers uh, who support animal control efforts as well. So uh, there was a media post, social media post a while back that was uh, requesting some training to support um, the animal control officers' uh, colleagues who support during her days off. And so this course was designed to support um, animal control officers by ensuring that their counterparts are as educated as possible about some of the specific animal components, uh, things that you guys had mentioned that you do, um, that maybe police officers don't you know, always do or know body language, right? It's so important that they understand body language. Um, awful video, so, so sad. Um, but things like the link, right? Rabies, uh, canine and female, feline handling, body language, breed identification, huge. Um, dog fighting, hoarding, you know, large animal, things like that. So I'm really excited about this course. It's a modified version of the existing animal um, ACO one and two courses that are out there. So it's specifically targeted for the police officer, um, not for the animal control officer. It would be a duplication if an animal control officer took this course um, for them. Uh, most of it would be. Um, but I'm really excited. We have some police officers that are working through testing it right now, making sure that we, um, you know, are make are really that the course is really helpful and impactful. Um, you know, again, there is no um, there's no substitution for in person, and a lot of body language and stuff needs to you know you you just get that muscle memory by practice and practice. Um, but by having this online uh, self-paced course is going to be so helpful for um, those police, police officers who find themselves in those situations and hopefully avoid or mitigate any of those fatal shootings or, you know, anything that um, it just, oh man, I can't even <laughs> think that. that uh, just... I would love to hear from our listeners and, and it, you know, Ashley, you, you work for a PD. It's, rare from what i can gather that we get that call that hey i was out on a dv while i was there i noticed this dog had a limp do mm -hmm. you guys mind checking it out or you know the dog was underweight we were out doing a welfare check on these kids the dog just looks skinny like we we rarely do that and what happens is we get the call and and this is i think it's a culture change and it's starting to change with our younger officers but the older officers only know us for hey uh this person just got a DUI and had a dog in a car. Can you come pick up the dog? Right there. They think mm -hmm. that, that maybe they're just not thinking that aspect of the animal welfare side. So having that course, that sounds awesome. Thanks for providing that, Jerrica. That sounds great. Yeah, I'm really excited. It's going to be great. So we'll be um, sharing when that comes out. That'll be available um, in the fall. So I'd give it another month or two months. Um, again, just kind of working through some of those final details. Um, let's see. Board of Directors. So NACA um, has five open Board of Director seats. 
and we have 18 candidates for board of directors. That is the most that um, anybody that we, from all, any of our collective knowledge, um, that is the most candidates for the board of directors ever. And I'm so excited. The uh, candidates are amazing. And you can find information about them on our website. So historically, nominees have addressed members at in-person meetings. However, since that's not an option again this year, unfortunately, the nominees um, have the option of sharing a letter or a video with the membership. And so any of those that have been submitted are available on our website. It's nacanet.org backslash elections. Um, the elections are taking place October 19th and 20th. And elections are 100% membership driven. So I just want to make sure to remind and encourage, you know, every single member of NACA to come out to vote. It just takes a second, you know, let your voice be heard on who you want on the board of directors. We have amazing candidates. All 18 of them bring something unique and diverse. And it's such a great group. I'm really excited to see uh, how the elections turned out. So um, it's going to be great. We're, and so if we go to that website, NACA net doc not yeah i can speak macanet.org <laughs> elections backslash elections does it have each candidate listed there it does it will have the candidates uh it has their photos and then um underneath each photo will have the title and then if you dig a little bit deeper into their their if they submitted a video there will be a video uh in there as well where they had the opportunity to address the membership uh some chose not to do the video and are submitting uh letters so we're still getting those in um, okay. So as soon as those get all in, they're all posted as soon as they're received from the candidates. So um, keep checking back and um, just get to know the candidates. There's some great people in there and I'm really excited. So I'm looking at it now and mm -hmm. I am, there's a lot of great candidates. What bothers me, and I'll be very frank, and yeah. this is Be no nice, Sam. No, no, no. This is no disrespect <laughs> to anybody. I don't mean it that way. I'm saddened by our profession because I only see one person that's an actual boot on the ground. Basically, everybody else is in a supervisory position. And I feel like we need to represent ourselves and have more. We need a mix, right? We need supervisors on this on this board, 100%. I completely mm -hmm. agree. But out of 18 candidates, there's one person that is actually in the field. And so that I want to see more in the future from, and, and that includes myself, right? Like I could have applied too, and I didn't, but I, you know, I, my point of that is like, I think it's great that there's that many, that there's that many great heads that, that collectively can be on the board. But we sometimes when we're in positions of not being in the field, we may lose touch of the field. And so in the future, our listeners, um, I'm encouraging you to also apply just because you're not a director or a supervisor doesn't mean you don't have those skills that you need to be a great board member. That's all I wanted to say. Absolutely. Totally agree. I think that it's important to have that, um, you know, diverse perspective of people who are um, in the field doing, doing the work, you know, as long as the, the time commitment and everything is, is okay for them, then I, I totally agree. I think that would be fabulous. So next year, listeners, yep. make sure to submit your, submit your interest. <laughs> Um, let's see. We also have, oh my gosh, we've got some amazing partnerships in the works. One that I'm really excited to share is that we just finalized our partnership with the world famous San Diego Zoo Wildlife Alliance Academy for safe capture chemical immobilization training. 
the San Diego Zoo currently offers it in two different formats. They have an in-person and they have a virtual live option. And then there's soon to be a third, which will be a self-paced, um, sort of like the ACO1 and ACO2, a self-paced course. So um, they are fantastic. We're working with them on um, possibly, it's very wildlife heavy right now. And I know both of you, when you were describing your, um, you know, what you do and, and what your history and your experience, um, there's not a lot of wildlife. You mentioned when I look on social media, there's a ton of wildlife. So it's interesting. Um, but there's this course specifically currently is a wildlife. Um, there is domestic, but not a lot. And so we'll be adding, uh, working with them to really, you know, fine tune the content to make sure that the um, animal control officers really getting, you know, the, the most uh, highest level of education and training they can from this uh, in terms of how it will help them in their job. So uh, really awesome, great stuff coming. They've got a ton of courses, so you can check out their um, website. It's a really long name, so I'm just going to ask you to Google it. <laughs> but and we can um, add it. We can add it to the show notes as well. That way, if you want to just click on the link as you're listening, yeah. it'll be there. Absolutely. Um, Let's see more updates. Uh, we have selected eight members for the Culture and Collaboration Council. So this was something that we put out as um, this is a new committee for NACA. I'm super excited about getting the forward momentum on this group. Um, really great things are going to be coming out. We have um, started adding the members to the website. So that is collaborate.nacatraining.org. Um, and I know I touched on this a little bit when I visited you guys last time, but the council was designed to provide members an additional opportunity for engagement and to really represent their area um, in the country. So, you know, working on expanding partnerships and trainings uh, and looking towards the future and really getting, you know, the information from those on the ground. What do you need? How can we help? Um, you know, we need their input. So this group is great. It's a diverse group all the way from California to Florida, um, Idaho, Arizona, Kansas. Uh, really looking forward to getting this group going. So you can check out the web page for um, to see who is on that group. And um, as members fall off, uh, we'll be adding more. So if you're inter still interested, um, no. And it's just really excited about this group. It's it's going to be great uh, to just have a space to talk to, you know, other people uh, who are out there doing the work and and just finding out what we need and using them to kind of help us and drive the programs and, and kind of be, you know, some of our eyes and ears out there. Sounds great. Uh, we really appreciate the update and we're looking forward to hearing who becomes the new uh, board of directors. We'd love to have you along with them. Well, obviously you back, but along with uh, maybe a few of them on at that point, once, uh, once that's all settled and, and hear kind of what their plans and agenda are moving forward with the board. Awesome. Very cool. I have one more quick little thing. Sure. Um, a few months back, we added our um, humane highlight into the monthly newsletter. Um, and I'll be honest, I'm sad I have been reaching out to members all day on like a ton of emails um, individually to members asking if they wanted to be featured as our humane highlight. Um, and I'm not getting very many replies. So um, if I reach out to you, if you're listening and you want to be featured as a humane highlight, I would love to uh, feature you. We want to tell your story. If you want to be featured and I have not yet reached out to you, um, please feel free to email me, jowen at nacanet.org. Um, we really, like you said, we really want to, you know, have feature and tell your story. Um, so please reply. <laughs> yeah, you know, Jerrica, we, we feel your pain. 
And I've, I've felt this pain long before even doing the podcast, even when I was on a local board in Colorado, it just seems like for whatever reason, our profession there, like we want to be recognized for the hard work that we do and we want the appreciation, but we don't necessarily get the involvement from our own peers when we ask for it. And, and like, it can go as, as simple as like just sharing photos on your local shelter page or your local animal control officer page like we just for whatever reason maybe it's our personalities or, or what but i think i'll ultimately i think there are people that want to do it i see it on instagram uh, so please check out the naca website get this stuff over to to jerica because the only way we really change this perception is by showing people what we really do right get highlighted mm -hmm. do put that you know i do see a lot of people like handling wildlife on social media and having cute pictures with baby ostriches if that's a thing ostrich <laughs> i can't say the word but my point is birds like without yeah birds are hard without you without you as the listener giving us feedback on what you want to hear on the program or without you as a regular boot on the ground applying to be on the NACA board and then bitching because you don't feel like they're doing what you want them to do. Like you have to be involved. If you're not, you can't just sit around and not be involved. Right. And so I'm trying to encourage people to like do a little more, send pictures. Uh, let's talk really quick about how, how does someone, maybe their agency is not a member, but they want to become an individual member. How would they do that? Absolutely. Thank you for asking. So you'll go to our website, nacanet.org. Um, and there is in the top right corner a join now. So just uh, it's $25 for the year, um, which is an amazing deal. And we are working on, you know, increasing the value of the membership. Uh, we've added some additional resources. We're redesigning the entire disaster uh, response page to be a fantastic hub uh, of resources for, you know, when disaster strikes. Um, and so, yeah, so, so join now. We're working on, you know, getting some videos out there as well, um, back to sort of the inconsistencies and in standardization, you know, there's not even a, a standard video for, um, for how to use the control pole, right? There's not a standard video for how to use a leash, but, you know, you know, oftentimes you don't even need your control pole if you have, you know, good leash handling skills. So, um, I just posted a video about that on social media. So anyway, so yeah. Uh, in on our website. Cool, that's great news. Uh, definitely check out the website. Become a member. We there's great features for you, and you know it's we're a community that we you know we want to support each other, so we have to do that collab collaborate whatever we have to collaborate. That's the best way to say it. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Is there anything else that uh, you didn't get to today that you wanted to make sure our listeners knew about? I just want to, you know, just remind everybody that NAC is here. We want to hear from you. Absolutely. Please email me or our office. Um, we, you know, I'm an employee of one. I think I said that last time with an amazing board of directors. They are so involved and so engaged. Um, but, you know, we we work for you. We work for the membership. I mean, we really want to hear from you. Um, and just, you know, especially the, the world's heavy right now. There's a lot of you know, the West Coast is on fire. The, the South is, um, you know, got some hurricanes headed its way. Um, so everyone just stay safe, stay strong. Um, and we, you know, just want to hear from you and let's, we're all in this together. So thanks for having me today. Yeah, we are. And we, we really enjoy your time here on the program. And, and we want to thank you for, for joining us. And we look forward to getting you back on soon to give a, another update. 
in the next few months and hopefully hear from some, some of these new board members. So go check out check out the board members. Make sure you register to be a NACA member and, and vote. Absolutely. Cool. Bishop, you got anything? I don't. <laughs> that sounds convincing. All right. Well, thanks for listening to the Humane Roundup podcast. We're excited to have you. And as always on the show, go to check out our website, humaneroundup.com. Check us out on social media. The links would be there from Instagram and Facebook. And as always, we like to say on the Humane Roundup, keep it humane. Humane. Main. Main.